0: Welcome to Wildstorm Addiction. This is episode 15, and we're going to be covering uh, the weeks of September 9th and the 15th tonight. I'm Joe Davis-Elise. And I'm Ben Murphy. And uh, we got four titles we're going to cover tonight. We actually do not have any Wildstorm news for you, but uh, I do want to remind you guys that there are spoilers on the podcast that we talk about. Remember that our reviews, written reviews at the site are spoiler-free unless otherwise noted. So, Ben, let's just hit the ground running with uh, your first review. First up, we have Welcome
1: to Tranquility, One Foot in the Grave, number three of six, written by Gail Simone, art by Horatio Dominguez, and cover by Neil Gudge. This issue starts out with a little flashback of Mayor Fury as he's uh, racing to get to his wife, Pink Bunny. He was rushing to get to her, and this is a 20-year-old flashback. He was rushing to get to her because something was wrong with their son and he asks where he is and he goes out to the dock. I guess they have a lake house. And he finds his son pounding nails into the deck of the dock and he asks his son where's Paint. I'll just clue you in that Paint is the name of their horse because that's a little confusing at first. But uh you know their son Derek is just pounding nails into the the dock and mayor fury's like what are you doing and he's like just pounding he's like okay and he uh points to one of them and said that that one's mom and he, you know he's just whacking away at him and mayor fury sits down next to him and you know kind of has a heart to heart with him and y- you quickly find out that there's something quite wrong with derek
0: yeah we're talking the omen wrong <laughs>
1: So Mayor Fury is talking to him, and he's trying to understand what's going on with his son. And it feels very sincere. It's a serene setting, you know, at the lake house at sunset, and they're both sitting on the dock. And, you know, it's quite heartwarming. It's like a heart-to-heart, father-to-son. Except that it's like 180, because the conversation that's going on is really, really disturbing. So Derek tells his dad about how he wants some girls, but the mayor tells him, you can't just have girls. Then Derek finally explains where Paint their horse is. The horse is sitting next to them in a bucket. And it's been turned into soup. Because basically Derek pounded him into the bucket. It's a metal pail, basically. And Mayor Fury is disgusted and appalled and slaps Derek. But then we find out that Derek says that he can bring the horse back. And Mayor Fury is really confused. He's like, "You can bring him back," and he's like, "Well, not exactly like the same, but yeah, I can bring him back." And Mayor Fury is even more baffled and and probably scared of his son and and the powers that that he's showing. Well, I guess the his attitude as well. There's there's something not quite right with him. But anyways, they they head back towards the the lake house after that really disturbing conversation. And then we flip over to the present, which Mayor Fury is leaning up against a tree in the woods at night with his son. He asks his son, who beat the crap out of him in previous episodes or issues, um, he asks Derek what he wants. And Derek goes into some of the same stuff that we saw 20 years earlier, and you know, he says that he wants to pound some nails. He wants his throne, which I assume, you know, he, he wants what his dad had which is the mayor of the town and he wants his position and he wants a he wants some girls he wants a lot of girls and he says that he's gonna he's gonna go after Tomasina or at least finish what he started with Tomasina, who's the sheriff and then after he does all that he says he's gonna put everyone in the bucket so <laughs> quite quite a disturbing thing to hear from him and then we flip over to the search crew who's looking for the mayor that's Maxie Mann and the sheriff and a few other people from the town that can fly and such. And they find him. I, I guess Derek took off at that point. The mayor quickly latches on to Tomasina and, you know, everybody around him is kind of freaked out and is like, Whoa, whoa, let go of her I think Maxie Mann's like, He's up <laughs> But uh, you know, he he holds on to her really tight and and he's crying and he basically tells her that She's his real daughter he felt like she was a real daughter for him instead of you know his son who he abandoned because of he was crazy obviously as we learned so she phones in to the uh, the homecoming party that they were having and says that he's all right and that they're bringing him in um, and so it were, it flips over to the homecoming party briefly but then uh, Maximan is flying uh, the mayor and it looks like he's actually flying him. To the hospital is that correct? Not the homecoming party. Yeah,
0: second one the hospital.
1: So everybody from the homecoming party goes goes over to the hospital except for a few stragglers, and that would be Zombie Zeke and his buddy the Skull Guy. Do you know his name? I forget. Henry Hate. Henry Hate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they're left at the homecoming party with the hugest um, display of food and that pink bunny made because she was so excited about Mayor Fury coming home. And they just pig out and go crazy. Even Zombie Zeke Snake gets into it. And there's two awesome pages of them pigging out and then laying on the huge display, just like, oh, I can't believe we did that. And their bellies are bursting. <laughs> Who wouldn't have done that? That's awesome. <laughs> Next, we move into an advertisement because Gail Simone always throws in an awesome little ad, which rocks. And this is Maxi Man vs. the Vampire. And basically the premise of this ad is to boost sales for Minxie Millions mini pies, which is funny because it's it's a nice segue into the rest of, of this issue. The second half of this issue basically. Next there's another little interlude and we get we get Ajita and Mr. Articulate at the cemetery. And basically this one page is um them looking over Mr Articulate's gravestone which is odd for both of them. And he's looking at his grave, and he's telling Ajita that he has no memory of him dying or his resurrection, but he's glad that somebody cared enough to put his favorite blue roses on his grave. Just one quick page. I mean, he had so much to do with the last miniseries, you know, the the first miniseries, and he started to have a big role in this one with the first issue, and now he just gets one page. So... This, this miniseries obviously revolves around uh, Pink Bunny and Mare Fury's son Derek. Next we move on to Minerva, or Minxie Millions, and Venus. Going back to her little hideout or her mansion, I'm not really sure what it is. Minxie Millions is a goofy character in this world. If you guys don't really know who she is, she's a millionaire. She was a woman, like, I don't know what to call
0: her. Like an adventurer. Yeah, yeah.
1: But she's very old, and, and she... She goes into her kitchen looking for some pie and, and then she realizes that Derek's in her kitchen and she drops her glass and and Derek eats the pie that she had. He says, "Is this rhubarb?" Mm. and it, this is really disturbing and he basically threatens Minxie and says that, you know, he'll kill her and and blame it all on his dad and and that's how he'll get back against him and and then all of a sudden Venus comes through the door with a gun pointed at at Derek and and Derek quickly grabs up Minxie and he has a fork in his hand because he was or she has a fork in her hand actually because she was gonna eat the pie. But he grabs onto her wrist and and starts forcing it into her eye, or close to her eye. You know, using her as like a, a, a shield and and a hostage all at once. Then he lets her go and Venus fires off fi- five quick rounds and they all go right into his chest and he just kind of laughs because they don't do anything to her and venus goes after him to to fight him or something I, i don't know why she would think that that's smart if the guy just took five rounds in his chest and didn't seem to have a problem with it what she's gonna do against him but uh he basically as she comes after him he stabs her in the neck with the fork and then saunters off and that's the end of this issue so lots of fun times and
0: tranquility right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: it's all sorts of crazy (laughs) but it was it was an awesome issue really enjoyed it um I gave this one another 8. I guess I gave the, the first two a 9, but, you know, this one also had a ton of action in it, and, and we're obviously leaning towards Derek and what he has to do with the the town. This is a solid series. I'm really enjoying it. I love Welcome to Tranquility. I'm so glad that we get the second miniseries. What did you think, Joe?
0: No, I actually like this one a lot, because, like you said, you do start focusing more on, on Derek, this this is starting to seem like it's his uh, mini series, which actually, like I think I talked about in my review, it actually might work better for new readers that that it does focus on him because you know we're learning we're learning about him even though we've read Welcome Tranquility in the past. You know he's a new character, so we're kind of seeing him for the first time and seeing how the other characters react to him. So it's probably a good thing that he's that he's the. Um, kind of the focus here even though yeah like you said mr articulate did start because that was obviously a a big deal that that all of a sudden he's back at the beginning when you're talking about derek and and the the whole you know horse in the bucket thing you know like like i said all i could hear was the you know the choir from the omen it's like you know where's where's paint you know it's like he's in the bucket and i hear the i hear the choir It's like oh, oh great. It's like it's like instead of them chanting Damien. It's like it's all for you, Derek, it's all for you.
1: Yeah, I didn't wanna I didn't wanna confuse anybody listening whenever I was, you know, going through the issue because it, it's it's a little confusing that the horse's name is paint because when you're reading it you look at a bucket full of something and you're thinking paint bucket until you learn that it's the horse. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was very clever of of Gale doing that. Yeah, he's Derek's pretty messed up. Yes, he is. I'm interested. I'm gonna really be interested to see what the deal was with him and and Sheriff Lindo because I don't know. This is this is all very interesting. How nobody nobody knew about him, and all of a sudden here he is. And you know, obviously obviously Thomasina knew about him. I don't know. I mean, they've done it in such a way to where where the character it's not like 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 this. He would be the first person that these characters would suspect would be behind any of this. So, so I guess so far it still it still makes sense that they wouldn't know. I like the part where he takes his dad's mask and puts it on before right before he leaves, right before the search party finds Mary Fury. Right. I thought that was cool. But yeah, uh, I think I think he was just calling uh, Sheriff Lindo, saying that she was like a daughter to him. You know, considering I guess he feels you know like a failure with his son, and <laughs> I'm very surprised at the humor that she's throwing in here with with Zombie Zeke and Henry Haight, You know, because they've they've had some great little comedic group stuff in the in the last two issues. Because I don't remember that at all in the original series. Do you? Uh, even I don't remember them even interacting, much less being kind of a little comedic duo. <laughs>
1: Well, they did. They played chess together and stuff like that. But yeah, they weren't like that in the first miniseries. They weren't like, you know, comedic duo that you you were describing. But I think these issues, because she only has six to work with, they're, they're a lot more heavy. So I think she's using them to kind of lighten it up a little bit. I mean, like we said, the town is called Tranquility, and it's supposed to be peaceful, and this one is very dark. And, and it's interesting, we haven't really talked about time, because all the present... Has happened within like three hours. Like these first three issues are like basically the first three hours of
0: Mayor Fury getting out of prison. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Oh, and another thing that uh, Horatio Dominguez is doing that that uh, his his border his border drawings on the panels are still well, lots of fun. The one where where Zeke and and Henry have eaten. You know, he's he's drawing little food and french fries and cupcakes and stuff on the you know around the panels that's the kind of stuff that that i'm starting to to really like that he's doing here because like i said i I just wasn't really getting into his art but it's it's growing on me and and i can tell he's having fun so that's good even in the even in that uh, mock advertisement which i saw an authentic one the other day with iron man (laughs) and i think they were advertising something like this and i was like wow you know it's crazy to think that these really did exist and that gail simone's not really exaggerating the way that they were they were they were pretty much verbatim like this very cheesy very very goofy yeah and that's why
1: they've been so fun to read
0: yeah i'm trying to pick up all different clues that derek's dropping like where he said that he could could have brought back the horse You know, because obviously that makes you wonder, well, is he behind bringing back Mr. Articulate? And if he is, then what's the point of bringing him back? You know, so that that that's interesting. Um, Oh, good point. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be relevant or not, but obviously somebody brought him back. And like he said with the horse, he said, well, I can bring him back, but he really wouldn't be the same. But according to Dr. Steele, Mr. Articulate's not the same. He's actually better (laughs) than when he was alive the first time. And yeah, the the last scene with Minxy Millions was was pretty creepy. It's just it's one of those you know kind of like when you get to the scene in the movie where the the heroine you know or, or hero meets the villain, and they kind of you you kind of know that the villain's got the upper hand no matter what. In this case, because Derek is super strong and he could kill Minxy real quick if he wanted to, but obviously he's here messing with her. And if it wasn't for uh venus come in i don't know if he would have i guess he probably would have killed minxie i guess he still could because technically he hasn't left even after he stabs venus
1: yeah but i mean i would assume that he walks off at that point it looks like he walks off or walks out
0: so yeah because his goal obviously is to mess with his dad and i guess his mom too to mess with them by by uh you know hurting their friends so he's definitely doing a good job
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and so far, halfway through this series, it's fantastic. So, if you guys aren't reading it? Please go out and get it because this one's a good one.
0: Yeah, but I, I went ahead and gave this one an eight too. I mean, it's just like you said; it's a, been a solid story so far. And I mean, I, uh if you guys haven't seen the solicitation for number six yet, go go see it because it's awesome. I can't wait to see the explanation behind that. But yeah, I anticipate that we're going to go somewhere really cool with this story. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on to our next one, which is uh D V A Gods of Monsters, number 6 of 8, which is written by Brian Wood, art by Rebecca, Rebecca Isaacs, with the cover by Fiona Staples. And just like I started out my written review, this was the issue I've been waiting for. <laughs> this was the one that when Rebecca said uh, on our interview with her, she was like, yeah, just wait till you get to some crazy battles at the end. This is, I hope, only one of the ones she was talking about, but this definitely was... What I've been waiting for, because I wanted to see Bliss's army in action, and they delivered in this issue. Because, you know, we've talked about in other series that we're reviewing, some of them have either been, you know, all action or, or too slow, or you know. And with DV8, it's been going back and forth. You know, we had some really good story with some action kind of thrown in, and then we had some issues that were a little bit slower than others. So to be this far into it, you know, at issue six. And to have an issue that, that's that's mainly action, I'm okay with that because we've already had plenty of time to establish this stuff. You know, basically, you know, we're we're coming here to the aftermath of uh, Threshold's attack on Freestyle's camp, and the uh, the natives are are demanding that uh, Frostbite and Covey Cat and the others teach them how to go to war, and uh, we have a really cool. Flashback of Threshold destroying everything. God, I don't know why I love that character so much. I just think he's so great. I love how crazy he is. But these panels of him destroying everything with his powers are awesome. Especially with Rebecca Isaac destroying him. You know, Threshold has has made his play for power, and in this issue too. You know, Bliss makes her play too, and it was just the last issue. Sublime, you know, rallied her troops. So you got three three of the kids leading leading their armies, and then you got the ones who were, you know, never wanted to war to begin with, which Copycat, Frostbite, and Freestyle. And I guess you can count Powerhouse, too. He wanted to stay neutral, which that doesn't happen this issue. <laughs> it's good that, that you've got all the different factions splitting up. And, uh, you know, they're still in t- whoever... Well, I say whoever, but, you know, Copycat's aboard the carrier, so, you know, we're still assuming that it's a member of the authority that's interrogating her, but uh, I'm starting to pick up that in issue one when they were flying away from that exploding planet. Obviously, it's the planet I guess that they are that they're on, that they're on in these flashbacks. But whatever they did, that planet is exploding and being completely destroyed in the background as the carrier is flying away now. Whatever happens, it's it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, because after that, after she explains that. It's pretty much just Bliss's assault on Powerhouse's camp, and I was actually really glad in a way because I didn't want Powerhouse to be left out of the story, so I'm not saying that I'm glad that she attacked him, but it's cool that she picked him story wise because that brings him back into the story, whether he likes it or not. So we just go through let's see how many pages do we get one, two, three, four, five, six seven about seven pages worth of battling and i mean just beautiful rebecca isaac's art i mean powerhouse's camp does have uh men in it you know last time we saw him it seemed like we were only focusing on the women because that's all he had around him but there are men there but Melissa's forces seem to seem to take them out pretty easily and, and then finally powerhouse decides to to move and you know he takes all the emotion that's building up in the fight and you know uses it to grow large and he tries to attack Bliss but of course she's uses her powers to take him down and by the end when his camp is pretty decimated she uh he's kind of paralyzed after her attack and then she decides to ask him to join her (laughs) so it's like yeah I just wiped out your camp so why don't you join me now that's diplomacy right (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that this battle was just great. I, could, I couldn't have asked for anything more. I just I loved it. Yeah, and here at the end, when Copycat's kind of talking about herself, kind of answered some questions that we all had about Copycat, like why she doesn't seem to be crazy anymore. I mean, somebody had mentioned that she did get cured by the end of the original Deviate series, so in that respect, you know, people have argued about the continuity here, but, you know, she's she's still showing that she was because she refers to her old personalities basically says that on you know in the on the planet in the middle of all this chaos you know she had to decide who she was going to be in order to get through all this like i said a great issue i mean after everything that's been building up it was so cool i was the only thing i was surprised about was that it broke the mold of where we were doing a character per issue you know this by the cover looked like it was so, supposed to be you know about frostbite but This is the first time that that, uh, Brian Wood has has broken that cycle that he's been doing. And I'm kind of glad, actually, because I don't know if that was part of it, why some of the issues didn't seem as strong, because we kind of knew who they were going to focus on. In this one, you know, Frostbite's hardly in it at all. And and I think that this cover is more teasing about what's to come, because, you know, now he's going to have to make a decision to rally his camp, or else... The other three are just going to come and run over them and just decimate them like like Bliss did with with Powerhouse. So, um, so I, I I gave this issue a nine, uh, which I haven't done that in this series since the first one, just because I just thought this was part. This is the perfect place for this after everything that we've been building to. I was okay that it was the majority of it was action. I hope we get some more battles. I'm sure we are. You know, we got three three armies out there right now with. A potential fourth one forming is going to turn into the Hobbit, the battle of the five armies, and we can get one more army in there. (laughs) So, anyway,
1: what did you think, Ben? All right. I'm going to tell you that I wanted to give this issue a 7, and you're probably going to say blasphemy. (laughs) But I did give it a final 8, and I'll tell you why. I I was not upset that he broke the mold either um, with the whole cover art and interior story. Frostbite's on the cover of this one. Did we see Frostbite in this issue? No, not really. But that's okay, because I felt like we already got Frostbite's background in issue number one, even though Copycat was on that issue. Um, and the reason why is because Copycat quickly you know, teams up with Frostbite. So I already feel like I already know what he's doing in this world. So I, I'm not as concerned about that, the whole cover versus interior storyline. That's the first thing. The second thing, and the reason why I wanted to give this a seven, but it, and then I'll go into why I ended up giving it an eight. The same reason that you had an issue with authority number 26, which is this issue flew by. It was very much like that authority widescreen, and it just cranked through, and I felt cheated because Oh, I just wanted it to keep going. It should have been thirty-two pages. It should have been a, you know, a big, thick, meaty comic, and it just, oh, I think I read through it in like four minutes the first time. Like, it, it just goes so fast. I mean, you even said it. There's six pages of action, and the reason why I gave it an eight, even though I wanted to give it a nine or ten, I still need that nine or ten room for these number seven and number eight. Like, I need, I need that headroom for my ratings because I know there's more to come. But the reason why I bumped it up from a seven to an eight is because how gorgeous these interiors are. Rebecca Isaacs is just destroying this mini series. The panels are beautiful. The big whole page spreads are just gorgeous. And you can't not give it a high rating because uh, it's it's dreamy.
0: What else is there to say on that? Well, you know the difference for me between this and Authority Twenty Six, I guess. In Authority Twenty Six, there was there was several pages that I just feel were wasted, like like the full shot of Swift's face. You know, did we really need a full page for that? You know, that's that's true. I know, I know where you're going with that. Yeah, with this, to me, it, it's like you know Re- Rebecca said that that she kind of does this, you know, almost like storyboard, almost like a movie. I felt like this battle was storyboarded, you know. Uh, I didn't feel like any of it was wasted. I I just felt like we got enough to where we, we, we felt the epicness of it. And, you know, little interludes here and there, like where, you know, uh, Bliss is talking with her one tribe's uh, woman or whatever that walks up and starts kissing her on the neck, and it's like, hey, give it a rest, okay? You know, <laughs> it's like she wants to start, you know, making out in the middle of the battle. <laughs> so I mean that little things like that that was funny and you know by the time e- even though was, even though I said it was like what about seven pages the last three is the big conversation between her and powerhouse you know which it starts getting a little bit more into the dialogue and and then you know yelling at each other basically or him yelling at her so you know that that was the difference to me I guess it just I didn't feel any of this was wasted. To where with Authority 26, I did feel like there was a lot of wasted space, a lot of panels where they were trying to push the widescreen, and it was just overdoing it.
1: Yeah, and I understand that. I guess cheated was the wrong word. I just, you know what, I guess they did their job so well that I was just craving
0: for more, and I didn't want it to end. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, well, like I said, this is going to read very well in trade. You know, somebody's gonna tear through this in one afternoon because they're, you're gonna want to know what happens next. I mean, uh, that's the way each issue has been for me, anyway. To be getting to the latter part of the trade and you get to this ba- big battle, it's gonna be like, wow, you know. No, but I get what you're saying. It, it is it it is hard to strike that balance. You you want to have a lot of story, you know, but you wanna you wanna have some good action too, you know, because comics are an action medium. First and foremost, you know. So,
1: all right. Next up, we have *Eyes of Blood* number two, written by Stuart C. Paul, art by Christian Duche, and cover by Michael Geiger. And if you guys didn't download last episode number fourteen, we had an interview with Stuart C. Paul, and you get uh, some of the insights um, and the reasoning behind *Eyes of Blood*, and it's a pretty cool interview so i hope you guys checked it out and if not go download it now um i'm gonna kind of fumble my way through this review because and if you didn't notice the last time that we did issue number one these issues are freaking dense i mean there is so much dialogue and and you you know these issues are $3.99, and you know, DC just ramped them up. And I think we even explained this the last time around. You don't feel jipped. You feel like you, it was worth that extra dollar, because, man, there's so much going on in these. And, you know, th- there's not a lot of comics out here these days that are like this. You, know, you have to go back 20 years to the traditional you know, formats to get this much dialogue and this much story into one issue. Diving right in. We have Caesar in his court, and our our hero Valens. I guess he's our hero, but he's our main character. Valens comes crashing into his court while well, it's in session, and he's presenting Pluto's kiss killer, the woman that he captured, the vampire that he captured in the first issue, who supposedly killed killed that one uh,
0: senator. Yeah.
1: Whatever he is, <laughs>
0: politics blah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you think that's where Dracula got that from? <laughs> <laughs> yes, politics blah. <laughs>
1: Anyways, um, so Caesar, you know, presents the killer to to not only the court but actually goes out into the streets and there's a big gathering of people and. Promotes Valens and and everybody hails Valens. And it's really kind of odd, but I, I mean, I guess that's how it would go, you know. He he captured the big killer, and you know, and Caesar, you know, really really promotes him and and praises him for doing that. And in doing so, he he even gives Valens his daughter, who he knew that he was hooking up with from the first issue. Niece. Oh, niece. Sorry. Which is amazing because Valens is a vampire and Caesar knows that and to give his niece away to a vampire She's human. It's amazing. This is such a big twist on that
0: mythology. Yeah, and this is this is like the Roman Facebook. This is how he gets the word out that you know <laughs> the killer's been captured. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: We go back to Octavia and she's taking a bath. There's a lot of skin in this. We like it
0: <laughs> Especially with Christian Ducey drawing it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Valens nonchalantly is like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Seeing you,
0: Aphrodite would weep. So, <laughs> You guys feel free to use that pickup line in the next time you're in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So he, he, he's sh- schmoozing her. And it, not that he needs to, but it's probably just because he's in good spirits because, you yeah, know, Caesar just upgraded him. <laughs> Plus one. Actually, plus ten. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he tells her that he's, you know, been promoted and that he's given her hand to him so that they can get married. La-di-da. They're all excited about that. And then we go into, and this is a vision from Caesar's nephew, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I still am having trouble getting all these other side characters straight, but I think, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, we need a wiki just for "Eyes of Blood," and we're only two issues in. Just so you know,
0: <laughs> we do have a wiki for it. I'm pretty sure a lot of these are, are real historical figures. So. That's true. But just go really- to
1: Wikipedia; you're good to go. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you don't know that history, you do kind of have to like check back in. I mean, I'm, I'm sure going through high school and stuff, you've gotten some idea of who these characters are, and and that's why I'm not really like hung up on it because somewhere back in my memory you know they pop up and i'm like okay i kind of know who this person is big whoop and you just keep moving on i'm glad he did all that work for us (laughs) because it means i don't have to anyways we go into this this dream and there's lots of blood and there's lots of naked women and guys (laughs) and there's lots of fornication and an orgy and yay that's Creepy and weird and awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Then from that, I I guess this is Valens' dream, actually. He sees a sacrifice of of a baby. Or, no, I guess it's a pig? Yeah, it's a pig. Yeah, anyways, it's creepy. He sees that it's actually Caesar's nephew. And yeah, and then Valens wakes up and Octavia's like, what's wrong? And he's like... That dang soothsayer that he ran across in the first issue is catching up to him. And then he turns around and written in blood above their bed headboard is the Ides of March are come. Here's the omen playing through. And so, you know, if if you've ever, if you know how Caesar died, then we go through this, basically that story. But um, Valens is actually trying to get to Caesar before he's killed. And, and he's rushing to his aid. And then we see Caesar in his court, but it's empty. And he's he's asking, Antony? Cicero? You know, he's calling out. And then they come in and he says, his that is his nephew, right? No, it's his son. I'm sorry.
0: No, when he says my son, remember he refers to everybody as his children. Uh, that's true. That's true. Because that's why he says, I hate calling you father. Yeah. So anyways,
1: he goes, Rome, you are avenged, and he kills Caesar. And then we see Valens pulling up with his horse, calling out to Caesar, and then he realizes that he's dead, and he's lying on the, on the court. Yeah, his blood spilled everywhere. And then there's a beautiful one-page spread of Valens kind of lifting up Caesar yeah, with no hope,
0: but it's, it's beautiful.
1: This new guy, he can really draw.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Wallstorm, going hang on to him.
1: Yeah, really. Valens is pissed, and he, he punches the nearest, probably, ivory statue and cracks it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Well, I guess, no, this is... I'm sorry. That's a little confusing because this is actually...
0: I keep wanting to say he's his nephew, but it's not. No, that's his friend from the guards. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah,
1: so yeah, so all of Valens' guards catch up to see what's going on and, and sees Valens there standing over Caesar's body and they blame Caesar's death on Valens. So now Valens has to run and the rest of the issue is a chase scene. Well, I mean, there is, there is some discussion in the bar. You know, he, he catches up with um, the guy who actually killed Caesar Man, why why can I not get this right? I I feel bad because, you know, if Stewart listens to this, I'm sorry, buddy. But <laughs> you know all this background, and there's a lot to to go through here.
0: Well, you know the good the good thing about this series though is that I mean, like I said, the only the only thing I uh, I kind of wish was is that each issue that 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 some of these characters would refer to each other and name right away. Yeah,
1: and I think that's what's. You know, frustrating me because I keep wanting to say his name, but I don't know his name because they
0: don't really say his name. Yeah, but he was introduced last issue, you know. So that that's just that's just one of those things where you know you 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 know when you're reading it, you're like, okay, I know him. He's he's part of the guards. You know, he, he's the other head of the guards next to Valens. So you still get what's going on, you know. But you just kind of have to deal with the fact you can't remember his name right now.
1: <laughs> right, and and that's. And that may be something because Stuart's green. I mean, this is his first comic, but, you know, this is a brand new world, so to speak, and, you know, those are little things that, you know, as a writer that would be helpful to the reader just, you know, between dialogue, between people. Just say their name once so that you refresh that because I'm not going to remember the guy's name from the first issue. Anyway. So Valens catches up with the actual murderer, but he he kind of has sway over the people that were in the bar and, and says, oh, Valens did it. Go after him. And he basically shows the robe of Caesar to the court of people outside and says, Valens, your man, go after the vampire. And Valens changes into a wolf. And then we have a, a chase scene throughout Rome as... As he's trying to go after Valens and, and find him as the murderer. and I mean, I mean that's the gist of it. But there's, yeah. there's there's
0: a lot more there than just that. It basically goes from being Gladiator to the Fugitive.
1: <laughs> Essentially. But well worth the read. Well worth looking through it. Because, I, I mean, the way that I explained it was simple... Or reading through it this is very dense there's a lot more there and th- this is one of those miniseries where the first two issues there's so much going on and he's not holding back these are not set up issues like in previous miniseries that we've gone through and you know I, I again I want to give this one a 9 but I'm going to reserve that and give it an 8 but what Stuart and Christian are doing, I mean, they're gelling so well, being worlds apart from one another, as we found out in the interview. Um, it, it's just this miniseries is really rocking it. What did you think, Joe?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I get what you are saying. To me, this is this is more like a like a movie that has a really intense opening, you know, and, and you don't really understand everything that's going on, but you kind of get the gist of it. You know, because he's taken us, uh, you know, the first issue, he, he did a good job of setting up everybody, uh, of setting up the world and uh, and then introducing, you know, how vampires are part of this world and even going after the killer right away uh, or thinking that he did, you know. And and then this issue, you know, uh, getting, I don't want to say getting the assassination of, of Caesar out of the way, <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to say it, but I mean, it's a historical Event that he's using in here, so it's kind of like it had to happen in the way that he's writing the story. So I'm kind of glad that it happened here already in issue two, and that we still got four more issues to deal with other stuff. And yeah, like I said, that that's that's why it doesn't bother me as much. I mean, yeah, I would love you know some more references to who the different characters are because we're still learning about them. But it's really not a big deal because the way he's presenting the story. I would want to go back and read this again when I have all the six issues, anyway. Um, and definitely, you know, for those of you who I would hope you're not trade waiting this, but I know I have heard several people that are. Uh, you're missing out, you know, but because I, I hope this gets traded because it, it it would be a beautiful trade. I can already tell. But yeah, this this is one of those stories you definitely want to go back and read it again because you know you got you got uh, the beautiful art to appreciate the second time around, and I am sure there is little things here and there that you'll pick up that you are missing the first time because because you are still trying to figure out this world, and you know it is a mystery as to who the real killer is, so you are trying to figure that out. So you know your mind is 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 not focusing too much. You got a lot of things a lot of things going on, but yeah, I. Uh, I guess this is a good example of what I was talking about earlier about when you're early on in a series and you balance the action and the and the story this, this he's doing a great job of doing that i think uh, of balancing it because we are getting we are getting some some great story and we're getting some some great drama i love the I love the scene when he's on the horse riding towards you know Caesar who's about to be assassinated i mean it's like I could see that in a movie so I, I think he's he's doing an excellent job of that, of just building the suspense and then something major happening, like the assassination happens, and then then we gotta kind of gather ourselves you know, story-wise, and you know, Valens brings his friends in and you know, does the, the, the scene with the bar where they're looking for somebody, and then all of a sudden you know, they turn on Valens and it's like, whoa, you know, that's another you know, twist in the story, and so now he's on the run, and you know, his friend has stepped in, and Basically, you know, playing Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive, you know, he's going after. <laughs> you know, Valens is is his Harrison Ford, and it even you know he even has time to 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 talk about how, you know, the reaction to Caesar's death across the uh, the country. You know that some were devastated, and of course, a lot of the vampires were happy, and and then a lot of the civil unrest starts as they start you know going after vampires and trying to kill them off. You know, because those who are coming into power now that Caesar's dead, you know, they want a pure Rome. They don't want any vampires at all for them to order this genocide, basically. Um, it's not surprising because that's what they were going for all along. And then, you know, the scene with him and... Um, what was her name again? You just said it. Octavia. Octavia. I mean, that that was pretty harsh. Uh, she basically totally blows him off because, you know, she she has doubts about about his innocence and you know the speech she gives him uh really she she deserves that slap at the end i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry Uh, she does because she 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 she, uh without actually physically hitting him she she gives him some low blows
1: yeah and you know considering their relationship is probably very tight i can't believe that she would doubt him that
0: much, you know? Like, give him zero benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, of course, then that um, that gives enough time for his friend to come in with the guards and, you know, he gives her uh, an an equal slap. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, she, she doesn't have her uncle's protection anymore, so, so who knows what's going to happen to her. And uh, I love this scene here where where you know he's he's taking on all the guards and and he literally punches the floor so he can escape like into the sewer system, and I was like, wow, that's an awesome scene. That's why I picked it to put up on the site because that was like very super heroic, you know. And I I, I love how Stewart is using uh, you know stuff like that, using the the vampire mythos and. Um, just having fun with it, you know. I mean, the whole thing with him uh, changing into the wolf and all that, and and here, you know, of course, we get a great cliffhanger as uh, you know, Valen uh, narrowly escapes, you know, out by falling down into the streets, only to you know be face to face with his friend about to kill him. So, um, you know, I ended up giving it a nine just because I was just very happy with it all around. Um, yeah, it does get a little dense sometimes, but the back and forth of the story and the action to me is just—he's hitting it dead on. You know, yeah, there's little things like we said about the names that you know maybe it's because he's still new to writing comics. But despite being new, he's he's got a lot a lot of stuff down that I think a lot of veterans don't have. <laughs> Sorry to say. So uh, it's just it's just an enjoyable comic all the way around. You know, the writing, the art—it's all coming together for me. And you know, I had to just up my rating now I mean I don't know what we're going to get in the next four but for now I'm really happy with this series so go pick it up guys I know it's an expensive cover price but it's worth it <laughs> don't wait for the trade
1: yeah I, I agree with everything you said and I can't believe that we're giving this out of the gate You know, sevens, eights, and nines it's, it's crazy and it's only issue two and I'm like wow what's left <laughs> There's got to be a lot there.
0: so I've got, a, I've got a phrase for you. A rooster on a chain. Go look at the solicits. You'll see what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're going to move on to our final one of the night, which is X-Files 30 Days of Night, number three of six, which is written by Steve Niles and Adam Jones, with art by Tom Mandrake, and cover by Andrea uh, Sorrentino. You know, we've been talking a lot about widescreen you know, with the authority and, you know, with deviate. This is the issue for X-Files Three Days of Night that, to me, shifts to widescreen. (laughs) Because we've talked a lot about how the issues have felt like X-Files episodes to us. To me, this is where it started feeling like an X-Files movie. You know, we pick up with the story of the boat that's stuck in the ice that we got a glimpse of at the end of last issue, which confused the heck out of us, because we didn't know what they were talking about. It's uh, apparently Mulder, who's retelling the story of a you know, it's a phantom ship. It's kinda of, it's 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 an old it's a seafaring tale that you've heard over and over, except this time it's, you know, about a ship that's stuck in the ice and an ice cutter comes and finds it. And, you know, the crew goes to investigate and they never never heard from again. But what we find that it's because that vessel was filled with vampires and so they were quickly disposed of the, of the of the human crew and supposedly only a few made it out alive to actually tell the story, which, of course, nobody believed them because they thought they were suffering from, a, you know, lack of food and all that. So now Mulder and Scully are investigating this ship to see what they can find. And they find a room full of dead bodies. Some of them I couldn't tell. Look, I don't think they're vampiric, right? I think they're human. I believe so but i their their hands are throwing me off that's that's uh, cuz they don't have the fangs but their hands seem to be clawed so not real clear on what they're supposed to be but they're all dead all mummified and then um a couple of the other agents come in and inter- interrupt what Mulder and Scully are doing and this is supposed to be their foil for the issue what's his name he said he's got a weird name uh the the other FBI agent yeah it's like no, I want to, It's not French. He calls him Frenchy, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew it was something like that, but which he doesn't appreciate, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's easier to remember. He's kind of the foil, you know, for the for them in this issue. there's, there's always got to be the the rival agent, like we like we've seen in Garrison. You know, <laughs> interesting little interlude in this issue where some. Uh, Ski patroller out, and um, they get attacked by a bunch of vampires who are hiding in the snow. I don't know if that's supposed to show that the that the situation is intensifying because the thirty days of night are quickly approaching, or what. But it was a quick little interlude about that, and you know, finally, Frenchy, <laughs> that's what I'm calling that French. That's what it, I knew it was French. I knew it was something like that. That's his last name. Uh, basically tells them you know he's going to tell he's going to call their superior and tell them to stop you know interfering with his investigation and you know he goes off so Mulder and Scully decide to rent a helicopter from a couple of locals who are kind of like a couple of good old boys who own a helicopter and take people on little tours and they wanted to uh use it to look around and the the guys decide to do some hunting while they're up there, one of the one of the guys takes out a rifle and he's gonna take out what he thinks is a animal out in the snow. But then we see that it's not an animal at all, but one of the vampires, who quickly jumps onto the helicopter. <laughs> and this is to me where it turns into more of an X Files movie, <laughs> because you wouldn't see the scene on an episode. You know. He, Basically grabs one of the one of the guy grabs the guy with the rifle and tosses him out and then bursts through the bursts through the window of the of the helicopter and takes out the pilot and it's this to me where it got a little intense because my whole thing this whole series has been like well what the heck are Mulder and Scully going to do when they actually confront a vampire it's like there there's nothing special about them they're they're going to get killed just like anybody else you know (laughs) and uh, to me they just get lucky. You know, Scully gets out of the way in time just to grab the controls and moulder with the vampire in his face. Can't think of anything else to do except grab a couple of flares and make them in the, in the shape of a cross, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. The vampire, you know, you know knocks him out of his hands, and he, he, when, when he does that, he pulls his uh, sidearm and shoots the vampire in the face, which apparently, I guess, is close range enough to where the vampire is knocked back. <laughs> they per- perfectly say, he's like Mold- she's like, Mulder, we should jump. And he's like, yes, we should jump. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the helicopter proceeds to crash and explode and, and they've made it out. Thankfully, they had nice, soft snow to jump into. And now they're stuck out in the middle of nowhere, you know, near a flaming helicopter, and that's where we're left with this issue. So this one, you know, uh, kind of a quick read, not really. I mean, the story, the beginning... Took a little, uh, little time to to take in, but once we got here towards the end, you know, like I said, it really turned into a lot of action, which I thought was great. Uh, I, I just thought it was it was nice to show what was going on here, and it, it that part's more set up because obviously now you know you've had this great action scene, and now they're stuck out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they could barely deal with one vampire, and like we saw earlier in that snow patrol, you know, there's vampires that are starting to pop up uh, more and more because the 30 days of night are approaching i gave this one an eight because i still think it's 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 a solid read um tom mandrake's art is growing on me a little bit too him and horatio dominguez both started off horatio dominguez back on welcome to tranquility both started off kind of weak for me but you know i think i'm just going along and, and i'm getting used to it and i mean there are some really good scenes in here i mean the the battle on the helicopter was pretty cool and I mean, so far it is a really great read I, I, yeah, I'd be interested to to find out if this, if the helicopter scene was Adam Jones and not Steve Niles you know, uh, I mean not that Steve doesn't know how to write action but I just, you know, I'm curious since you've got two writers working on here I'd be curious to see whose idea was what yeah, since Adam Jones you know, could plug his band tool a little bit more and maybe could play one of their songs, you know, when they're crashing or something <laughs> <laughs> <Movie. laughs> you yeah. know i'm sure it'd be appropriate
1: yeah i'm sure the pilots were probably listening to it in the cockpit or something yeah
0: (laughs) see if this was the movie that would be the little you know the little homage to the writers to somebody what is somebody somebody posted something online today about this how much they were enjoying it that they they were like it it really does feel like a long lost episode and so much so much better than some real (laughs) episodes i think is what they said or something like that like yeah i just it's just really enjoyable i mean it's 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 a great story. I don't know what else to say about it that we haven't said already about how good it is. I mean, uh, we're three issues in, and I don't think I've ever really picked up an X Files comic. Um, never really wanted to, and uh, this mixture is really working well. So, what did you think, Ben? I agree with you, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it it's been an awesome read so far, and now we're halfway through this mini. It's funny how you say, you know, this felt like a really cool episode, a long lost episode, and then when it kicked into high gear, this issue, you're like, now it feels like a movie, and that probably had a lot to do with budget because in a single issue, there's or a single episode, there's no way they would have paid for a helicopter, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: helicopter action sequence, including blowing up the helicopter, so. There was too many stunts involved, I'm sure. Yeah, that would have been a huge set piece for a movie. So, yeah, I, I could see that distinction. But with a comic, they can do anything they want. And it costs the same. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm glad that people are digging this and that there's a lot of a lot of comments online about it because it, it's a great read as well. Like, I feel like I was very boring tonight with my reviews because there were eights across the board. But... All of these issues that we reviewed tonight are great, and I feel like everybody needs to go out and
0: be following these as they're coming out because they're missing a lot. I think we've already proven that, <laughs> that when we don't like something, we're going to let you guys know, you <laughs> yeah, know, and we're going to let you know why. Uh, so trust us when, when we do come across something that's really good, that we're really enjoying. You know, All right, let's go ahead and look at the other Wallstorm releases this week. The last two weeks, yeah, on uh, September the 9th, we had Ratchet and Clank number one of six come out, and we had The Supernatural Beginnings in Trade Paperback come out. On September the 15th, we had God of War number four of six, and they pushed up all the issues that are associated with the movie Red, which is coming out in October, a full month, <laughs> because... I guess I just wanted to get them out there already, and you know, really keep hyping the movie. But we got the red specials for the character Frank, which is uh, Bruce Willis's character, right? Yeah. Uh, for Joe, which is uh, Morgan Freeman's character, for Marvin, which is um, John Malkovich, and Victoria, which is uh, Helen Mirren. So it actually looked pretty cool in the stands, where the or at least my comic shop had them all all in a row, and they're the um, basically the movie posters. But uh, Cully Hamner went and. And drew over the movie posters, so I uh, didn't get to pick those up, but I'm uh, really anticipating that movie, though. It looks like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think that's Wildstorm's intention with pushing them all up now, so that you do, it's free advertising for them. They're blocking off almost an
0: entire row in a normal store just to see those covers. Yeah, very smart. Very smart on their part. Um, we didn't have a lot of new digital comic offerings, I was actually surprised, um, uh, we did have uh, Ex Machina number eight and nine post We had Supernatural Rising Sun number four and five, and Gears of War number three and four, and the original Welcome to Tranquility number two and three. For some reason, none of the Wildstorm Worlds in titles got updated. I don't know why. Kind of worries me. We'll see. We'll see what happens next week. So, anyway, then why don't you tell these fine people how they can get a hold of us? here's how you can get a hold of us no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> felt like an announcer there for a second um, you can contact Joe on Twitter it's twitter.com slash grifter78 uh, you can look me up I'm yogamaster146 uh, you, c- you can find me on the wildstorm resource wiki or just you know the regular wildstorm message boards I'm there all the time, so is Joe you can also contact us at our twitter twitter.com Slash Wildstorm And you can email the show at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. And like we said, if you guys are digging it, please drop us a line. Let us know what you think, uh, what we can improve upon, and what we're doing right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. And pretty soon we'll be up to the New York Comic Con news. And I'm really looking forward to giving that to you guys. So,
0: yeah. It's Wildstorm Addict, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh, my bad. Yeah, it's okay. It, it, it's there's, it. there's a character limit for Twitter. Sorry, it's
0: Twitter, twitter.com slash Wildstorm Addict. Twitter is limited in everything. 140 characters. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't you can't overindulge a Twitter for anything. <laughs> so Anyway, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. We'll be talking to you in a couple of weeks.